Hello and welcome to Echoes of Glory, Season 9, Episode 39. I'm Jack. I'm Hasty. And I'm Giles. And welcome we need, back, Giles. We need entrance music. Sorry. Sorry, Giles. <laughs> <laughs> I like, need entry music. As if you're going to do a ring walk to, you know, have a, a heavyweight fight against Tyson Fury. What, you know, what are you walking into? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Right, we've got loads to cover today. We haven't got any matches to talk about, but there's been so much stuff it feels going on over the last few days. Um, but we're going to start with uh, a relatively new feature, which we're going to do over the next few weeks, where we're going to pick a position um, and then talk about one or two players that have played for Spurs in that position over the years and why, we, why it was that we liked them. So this week we're going to be starting with goalkeepers. So ASD, if I come to you first, who's a goalkeeper that you would like to talk a little bit about? Well, I've been through the list since I've been going properly. And, you know, I, have, I go back to when I moved to London. Our number one was Gomez and Cudicini. Well, I'm sure we'll come on to talk about them. Brad Friedel came involved. Pletikosa was there in the background. But then 2012-13, at the age of 25 years, we got a massive bargain when we signed Hugo Lloris for... 10 roughly around 15 million euros it's 10 million and then 5 million um based on different bits he made his debut for us against Lazio in September uh and then we were like when's he going to start a Premier League game and he didn't start a Premier League game until October and we couldn't believe it we bought what was meant to be an amazing keeper Leon were in massive trouble they needed money and they were just selling their players and we thought we got ourselves a bargain like one of those future potential he was he was at a decent level and we needed to see him come and then he just he only had 25 appearances that season and it started to move away we started to move from Brad Friedel but it felt like Brad Friedel was great and I'm not having there's no disrespect there and I don't think we've ever had two well I guess Walker and Chorluka may be the most opposite we've had in the same position. Um, Larice and Friedel were the most opposite at that point because it's easy to forget how much of a sweeper keeper Larice was. Larice was running everywhere. Like he would run so far that when the camera was on him at times, you couldn't even see the goal. And he made mistakes. And the next season when it came, 13-14, there were rumours he was going to move to Monaco, but Lloris had to say he wanted to stay. And in November of that year, we, I forget, Lukaku put, tried to put his knee through the back yeah, of Lloris's head. That, that was horrific, that, wasn't it? And he, he tried to stay on as well, Hugo, didn't he? But yeah. the medical staff had to say, no, you're going off. But that was, a, that was an awful tackle. It was awful. Um, and it really damaged him. And I think it changed him a little bit. He started to drop a bit deeper and he didn't go in for as many like he really put his head where um Lukaku's knee I don't necessarily think it was Lukaku's fault he was a bit clumsy um but then that year he signed a five-year extension with us and then and then I think it just got better and better and better in 15 he was our permanent captain and honestly I think he's one of the best keepers we've ever had in 2016-17 which is obviously an amazing season for us um we had the best ever um, defensive record in our club history we only conceded 26 goals imagine that imagine that yeah, I, I think he, he's been a brilliant goalkeeper for us and I think it was weird when we got him wasn't it because usually with signings there's a little bit of build-up but it didn't mm. it was just sort of like there was I remember shots of him at Spurs Lodge like in the back of a taxi and it was like Spurs have got Loris and it was a little bit like wow that's a that's a pretty big signing for us um, but I do remember early on in making a couple of blunders in like Europa League games 
and which is why there was a little bit of doubt about, you know, can you drop Friedel, who wasn't making any mistakes? I think everybody knew that Hugo was a better keeper, but I think that it was difficult for the management at the time because Friedel was doing well when Loris was getting the chances early on. He, he, he looked a little bit... He didn't fill you with a lot of confidence. And I'm going to talk a bit about Friedel in a minute, but Friedel was the opposite of that, where he just didn't make any errors. Whereas Loris straight away seemed like a little bit of a quite a rogue goalkeeper. But that sweeper-keeper thing, I mean, that's not in his game at all now, is it? You've seen how he's been able to develop his game and become a better goalkeeper as the years have gone on. Yeah, and I you know, I I will defend him to the hill. People say he's mistake laden. I I think it's just because we're looking at him more and we see him more and I think we don't appreciate the the, the saves that he does and I swear he saved more points than most of our players have gained. I, I really, really do believe that. Um the dark side of him is his drink driving thing. there's no excuse for that. We'd be hammering Anyone who did that, obviously there's a Chelsea player that killed someone uh, when they were drink driving and he was twice the limit. He was fined 50 grand and he's banned. He's still banned for driving, I think. And that's disgraceful. There's no space for that. Outside of that, um, I love him. He's a he's a captain. He's a World Cup winning captain. Made a massive mistake in the World Cup final. <laughs> yeah, everyone but, gets it. But I love the man. And he's one of those ones where I think it's really hard for a keeper to come in. He's a bit like Kane. It's really hard for a striker to come in because they know they're never going to beat him. I think he could still be our keeper for another five years. And they'll never... Gazaniga is a fantastic backup keeper. He's the best second like backup player we've ever had, I think. I think he would have walked into our side a, a few years ago. Um, but Larice is, is just so good and so beautiful. So beautiful. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> He's a beautiful man. I think he's a fantastic goalkeeper. I, I think the I think the, the extended break he's had during lockdown has benefited him. And I've heard him say the same thing. He's played a lot of football. We talk about outfield players when they've played a lot of football as if it gives them permission for having an off game. But Hugo's no different. I mean, he was captain the World Cup winning team. He's played, if you look up the stats, he's played an incredible, incredible amount of football. And I think he does make errors. But they stand out, don't they? The glorious saves get forgotten and don't make the headlines, but those errors do make the headlines. And I think we were fortunate enough to have Loris at a time where we also had an incredible defensive team, a defensive unit, not necessarily a defensive team, because we attacked with flair. But like ASD was saying, um, for us to go from that to where we are now, I think really highlights where we're lacking at the moment. And Hugo has just been a huge part of that. Incidentally, I was listening to a... I only listened to two Spurs-related podcasts, this one and one other. And they were talking about Hugo the other day, and it was a journalist, and he was one of the few players who had been at the game against United. And he said one thing that really stood out during the whole game was that Hugo Lloris just does not shut up. And you don't know it necessarily, and you don't see it when you're there at the games, and you certainly don't pick up on it when you're watching on telly. But apparently his mouth is going just... Mm. non-stop throughout the game organizing the team and he's such a sophisticated articulate chap that you don't think that's part of his game but I just love the fact that he's clearly just controlling that back line yeah definitely and and I think that Loris is always a goalkeeper that is always brought up and and held in high regards, especially when you talk to fans that have been watching Spurs for you know like 40-50 years they all say that definitely in the modern era that Hugo's 
one of the best keepers that we've had. So, you know, he's been he has been brilliant for us. I've always said with him that for me, he's always been just outside that world class bracket. Um, not saying that he's not a good goalkeeper, but I've always thought that there were just a few that were slightly ahead of him. But I think he's a symbol as well about how far we've come as a side. From when he signed, you know, it, he was up there as one of our best players. Whereas now, you know, there's talk about, oh, you know, is that a position that we actually need to strengthen? So I do think that, he, you know, he's he's ridden the, the curve absolutely perfectly with Spurs, hasn't he? That he came when we were a, a bang average Europa League side and he's been there all the way through. Um, yeah. to, to where we are now. I know this season's been a, a blip for us, right. but you know he's he's been really. You could say he's he's part of a catalyst as to how we've done so well. Who would you buy then? Who wouldn't automatically be a choice for one of the bigger teams? I don't think there is anyone we can get. Honestly, well, uh, no, no. I think that that's that's a fair point, and especially with goalkeepers, there aren't that many no. keepers around. The ones that are around, you're not going to get them. Because no. they can look at, you have to now, I think, and I think this is not the case just with goalkeepers. I think this is in most positions. You're going to have to go to a, a lesser league and gamble on a top player there and hope that they can then come into your side and do well. You know, you think of like um, Haaland, who's gone from the Austrian league straight into the Bundesliga and is just banging the goals. And I think that's the type of signing that people are going to have to make now because mm. outside of Barcelona, who have signed Pjanic from Juventus today for about £65 million, um, there's not there's not going to be those kind of fees being thrown around because nobody's got the money at the moment. So no. it could be the wages if, either, which means people won't it. want to move. That's it. And I think as well, you've got to think if you were a top keeper, at, you know, if, if I'm talking about the goalkeepers that I think are better than Loris, we're, we're saying Edison, Allison, Testagen, Oblak, these kind of guys, they're not going to want to come to Spurs anyway. You know, because it, that's just not the type of move that they would want to make at the moment. It's got to be that up and coming goalkeeper pretty much when we got Hugo. That's the kind of move that we have to make when we do come to replace him. Um, but for me, he's always just been outside that bracket of those top goalkeepers. But he's been brilliant for us over the years, definitely. How how big, Jack, is that top bracket, though? Because you've listed four there, but I don't think you could list many more without having to include him. No, I think that that's the case with a lot of positions, to be honest. I, I'd, I'd put De Gea in that. And I know that there's been a lot of publicity with him recently, but I still think he, he's in that bracket for me. Um, and then just underneath that is probably when when Hugo would would come in along with others. But, you know, there's there's not much out there for goalkeepers. You know, if we're being brutally honest, like I've listed some names there and I'm struggling really to think of many more keepers that are even sort of decent. You know, it's, it's a position that I think a lot of teams are, are struggling for. It, it's such a specialist position and... As football fans, it's, it's, it's strange, I think, goalkeepers, because they almost play a different sport. So I always find it hard to judge goalkeepers compared to any other position because th- their skill set is so specialist. Um, but I do like Hugo. Like I said, I think he's been such a brilliant goalkeeper for us um, over the years. I've always had question marks about whether or not he should be captain. Um, for me, captains, goalkeeper captains, whilst there have been quite a few over the years that have been very successful, I've never been convinced with that. Um, I've always preferred my, my captain to be an outfield player, but I don't think they do much on the pitch anyway. Mm. And that the stuff that that we're talking about is captain behaviour. Kane does it up front anyway. I don't think they look. I think the captain is behind the scenes, and I think he's seen as a like the mature. He's one of the oldest there, and I think he's seen as the mature leader behind the scenes as well. And I I think there's a reason he he's manager of the current world champions and the current second best team in Europe. You know, if we go by the 
last time. <laughs> a, bit of, <laughs> a bit of optimism there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought because he was so close to Poch, I was a bit worried about what might happen mm. to Hugo this season. But he seems to be content. I mean, he's not one to come out and do a Danny Rose in the papers, I doubt. But he he seems content, and he's seeing. I suppose someone with uh, Jose's creds, whether you like him or not, as a professional working under the management of someone with that record and being the type of person Hugo is, I can't expect him or wouldn't expect him to have been disappointed. He's he's a really interesting character because he's one of the few upper class footballers. Like his yeah. was his mum is a lawyer and his dad is a Catalan banker and they lived yeah. in Monte Carlo. Like he he's got filthy amounts of money, like ridiculous amounts. Like so he, money to have been able to book a cab when he'd had too many glasses of wine. I mean, yeah. I think he's he's earned enough himself to, re- to rely <laughs> on that. But let's not forget he's got a ten year old daughter and I think a. Like he had a kid at the end in September as well. So like moving now, moving a 10 year old away from the school, away from London, going somewhere else. It's it's harder. And I think that he's, I don't know. Well, what does he want? Anyway, I love him. I, love I also him. think just one final thing on, on Hugo. I don't think uh, that he could get better than Spurs at the moment. Because again, if we're looking at what would be a step up from Tottenham, if you list those clubs, they've all got top keepers. Well, so you Courtois know Suarez it... isn't a great keeper. Do you not think? I think he's. I think I he's, think he's better than He's great, but he, I don't think I wouldn't necessarily have him over Lloris. Uh, it, <laughs> it's it's tip for tat, I think. Yeah. I think he could I, go for Real Madrid. Maybe I'm not sure. I'm no, not. Sure. I'm not sure. But it, look, he's been a great keeper for us, Hugo. Um, Giles, over to you. What goalkeeper <laughs> would you like to talk about? So I, I think like a lot of people actually, I found this out recently. It's not just me that feeling really nostalgic at the moment and mm. revisiting it might be because my two young daughters have, uh, have now got disney plus so there's a few old rogue cartoons popping up here and there but Go on. Which uh, for me oh uh we got we've had duck tails um a bit of gummy bears they love it they, <laughs> they love it they absolutely love it chippendale <laughs> uh yeah no they, they love that but but for me it was um it's eric so it's eric the viking towards it so for me i there's something about that first team that you start following as a kid and he was just always he was just always our number one and it was at a time so he was part of the 91 FA Cup winning team and he was he was one of those players that I think even as a kid hearing people call him Eric the Viking there was something strangely powerful about that to think wow we've got a Viking in goal and as a kid you can understand that and why that's a good thing and it was also just the, the the kind of allure of having an overseas player. It wasn't as common as it is now, obviously. And he was just this really strong figure that we had in the team that just felt really different and just kind of distinct and different and better than than the other team. So I don't I don't for any stretch think he was anywhere near Hugo's quality. But as a as a really physically you know larger than life viking he was just someone that's always stuck in my head and as i say going through this kind of recent weeks of nostalgia i'm kind of romancing about the 91 team at the moment and the likes of the gazers and mm-hmm. linekers i don't i don't think it ha- i don't think it helps the type of football we're playing at the moment actually yeah but I, I like the fact that when we do this kind of thing and we look back about players we don't all always pick the best player and I think mm. I like hearing people's stories about, you know, you know that maybe this guy wasn't the best, but he just had something about him and his personality was great. And you just sometimes you just connect with 
with a player more than you do another one, even if that player's got less ability. Um, so here yeah. we talk about that, you know, and I think any goalkeeper that is in a, a team that wins a major trophy, especially at Spurs, must have been all right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm just scrolling through the team though, the FA Cup winning team. I don't know, there's a few dubious players amongst them. <laughs> they definitely are. Um, I would like to talk a little bit about Brad Friedel, um, oh, yeah. who... For me, I suppose what you've just said there, Giles, Friedel's similar for me in that kind of category that we've had better keepers than him, definitely. But for me, when Brad Friedel was brought in, it was an absolutely magnificent signing for us. We didn't have him for too long. It was only really a couple of seasons. Um, but we'd gone through a period of Gomez which and Goodachini. Goodachini was you know, well past his best at that point, where we didn't have consistency with our goalkeeper. And you never really knew what they were going to do, especially Gomez. You know, he was capable of saves that were impossible. But then he would, you know, as he did at Fulham, he would just, you know, throw an easy one in the back of the net. So mm. bringing Brad Friedlin when we did, I thought was a masterstroke because he's played so many games in English football. Um, I can only remember him making one mistake for us in the couple of years that he played. And for me, going back to having a goalkeeper that you could rely upon, um, you could count on... And, and he just he wouldn't do anything crazy. He might not have saved the, you know, the wonder save that Gomez or Hugo might have got, but he, he wouldn't he wouldn't do anything that would cost you points. Um, and there was just a, an end, there was calmness about him. And for me, that's what I want out of my goalkeeper. I'd rather a goalkeeper that is consistent and doesn't make errors, but maybe doesn't make that worldy save than than a Gomez type character. So Mate. Brad Friedel for me was was definitely a, a, an unsung hero, especially of that that Redknapp period um, oh, when we yeah. were so well. He came in 2011-2012 at the age of 40, played immediately, played 38 games for us. Yeah, brilliant. Next year, he was 41 and played 11 games. But that was the end of 310 consecutive games in the Premier League. Incredible. That's almost 10 seasons where he's fit, able and the best in his team to deliver yeah. a Premier League performance. That's outstanding. Yeah, and uh, whenever you listen to football fans or pundits talk about Bradford, everybody says the same. Ultimate professional, driven and consistent. And um, he, he was just he was just excellent for us over that period. And like I said, a period where we were coming out of having goalkeepers that were all over the place to that. So then Hugo, you know, again, we talk a lot about you know, you can look back over the years and see what players have played in the position and see the gradual improvement. And I think the goalkeepers, is, you know, sums it up probably better than any other position. Yeah. But so I'll give a few shout outs. Yeah. Heredio Gomez in our first Champions League year. He was unbelievable in the one nil and the nil nil against Milan. He he was world class world class he was a goalkeeper if i was creating a game of football that was just two teams i'm putting together and i'm going as a neutral and i want to see an entertaining game he'd be the first goalkeeper you'd have because he was capable of doing like i said amazing things we all we, when we think of gomez we do think of the blunders but he made saves that you just think how have you saved that yeah it that we always say the sublimes are ridiculous the main the main ridiculous thing was he just came for every cross every single yeah. cross and that was yeah. it he, <laughs> and he he was technically superb and i just and he he was a great character he loved spurs and he, he was 
the goalkeepers have an interesting relationship with the fans who were there, right? Because they're 20 feet away from it at White or White Hart Lane. And so there was a relationship that was built there. It was the same with Robbo, right? I wasn't there. I wasn't going when Robbo was there. But you could tell the crowd had the same relationship with him because he was the closest thing to him all the time. All the time. Like you could tell um, people in the front rows hated Carl Walker because they could they could see him five metres away cocking up on a weekly basis. But Robbo... Um, and Gomez were great. There's, there's just some with Gomez AST. Just one thing. Yes, I used right. to love the fact that he couldn't kick the ball, and he used to mm. come out, didn't he? And do like a massive cricket bowl to about the halfway line, and it was like, what? what mm. Keeper doesn't know how to kick it. Yeah. Uh, do you remember uh, us playing against him though? He's one of those players. There's a few. There's been a few in our, in, in certainly in the time I've been watching Spurs, where you watch them for the opponent's team in a game against Spurs, and you just think, wow, if only we had a player like that. And there was that game in the was it Europa or whatever it was called at the time, where he just was phenomenal in goal. Yeah. And so I remember feeling elated when we signed him. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, whether it worked out or not is, a, is obviously a discussion point, but he wasn't quite the, the player that we had seen in that game. Yeah. I asked my dad this question when I saw him earlier. He's allowed that he's in my bubble. And um, he, he talks about a few. So we have Ray Clements. So he might be Liverpool's greatest ever keeper. Um, he won an FA Cup with us. Um, in 1982 um and he was really 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 good for us um he he wasn't with us for very long he's a bit older there's a few there's a couple i didn't really know much about um i've done a bit of research on so bill brown who replaced ted ditchburn who i'll come on to later um ted ditchburn was uh, from he was with us from 1946 to 47 and then 58 to 59 so just before that 60s winning team and he was the goalkeeper within, you know, Arthur Rose, legendary push and run style. So he had to be, he had to be different to everyone else, and he, he had to change his style, and that was amazing. And he was also um, a former boxer, so he was hardcore. And then when he left, Bill Brown came in, and he took it, took us to the next level. But the one that everyone talks about, whoever saw him, is Pat Jennings. I'm yeah. sure your dad, Keith Birkinshaw, brought him in. Um, Sorry, Keith Bergenshaw sold him, actually, when we got relegated. But Big Pat, as everyone talks about him, his massive hands. He was just the, the best keeper we've ever had. Dominant in the air, controlling, um, great keeper. Just He was just a massive man. And he was player of the year in 73 and 76. He won an FA Cup with us in the UEFA Cup and two League Cups. He's, he hands down is our number one keeper ever. I just wish I'd been around to see him more. Yeah, he's he's always the one, isn't he? If anybody saw him, he's always in their team. Mm. You know, I've, I've never spoken to a Spurs fan that saw him that doesn't have him down as the best goalkeeper. And mm. also for a man that played for the other lot, is mm. still so loved. Yeah, you know, I mean, which is a rarity. You know, there are very very few players that go from one team to their bitter rivals and are still loved. Yeah, so he must have been he must have been half decent again. Yeah. Cool. Um, we're going to talk a little bit now about transfers um, and who we believe to be our best and worst signings uh, in, in the Premier League era. Now, there's, there's always a lot of talk, um, especially on Twitter, about you know whether or not Spurs spend money. Do we, don't we? Do we spend it poorly? Are we good at recruitment? So what we've got is a list of our 10 most expensive signings, which we can talk a little bit about. But I'd love to know from you both. Who you think, when I say, you know, what is Tottenham's best sign in the Premier League era, what player does that make you think of first? 
Giles, I'll come to you with, with this question. Rafa, hands down. It's the correct yeah. answer. <laughs> <laughs> not, There's something about even even now thinking of us signing Rafa, just oh, I just get giddy about it. It's bizarre. He hasn't been with us for years. There was something about just just not waking up physically to that news, but that news happening and just just struggling to believe it. And it was only I can't remember what it was now about ten million pounds, wasn't it? It was a steal, an yeah, absolute steal. He was meant to be going to Bayern Munich, wasn't he, the week before for about thirty million, and it all fell through. And Madrid yeah. just needed cash. And then yeah. Levy probably you know pipes up with, oh, I'll offer ten, see what they say, accepted. And I mean, I, I absolutely love Van der Vaart. What a player! He was just a Spurs player. Yeah, he was pure, just was out and out Spurs. Spurs. And he Absolutely still is. proper Spurs. Yeah, he still is. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah, well, he wanted us to sign that lad that's just gone to Chelsea, didn't he? Um, that Moroccan lad. Um, and unfortunately, oh, yeah. they pipped us. Yeah. <clears throat> but no, there's, I mean, there's a, there's a few more. I mean, I mean, the likes of Ericsson, 12 million. And yeah. obviously, we touched on Hugo earlier, was only 11. I think when you look at our top three signings of all time, they've kind of flattered to deceive. But yeah. I did notice actually on that list you sent that Sonny for 27 million. I mean, that's just an absolute deal, isn't it? 27. That's only, what's that, 5 million more than we signed Serge Aurier for. I mean, that's that adds same perspective, doesn't it? Soldado. Um, but you're both wrong. So I'm quite happy to tell you <laughs> you're both wrong. Well, I've got another, I've got another <laughs> one that, whilst Van der Vaart, you know, pulls at my heartstrings, the, the one that I actually think in the Premier League here has been our best sign in. Um, was Toby Alderweireld? Yeah. Fourteen, yeah. 14 and a half million pounds. How much did we yeah. spend on for Tongan? Um, and for me, Alderweireld, when he came in, he was it was instant. And there are a lot of it's difficult to judge, you know, what makes a good signing because when we're looking at guys that are at the top of that list, you know, Undenbele for sixty odd million, straight away the price tag brings the expectation. Mm. And for me, signing Alderweireld for fifteen million. I knew we were getting a half-decent player because obviously we'd seen him at Southampton, but you, uh, it wasn't really until after about half a dozen games that you started to think, wow, we've got a real player here. Um, and he has been, you know, the centre of the best defence that we've had in the Premier League era. Those couple of seasons where we were just, we were rock solid. Um, and we've, you know, typically over the years been a side that have been pretty poor defensively, quite soft and just easy to score goals against. He came in, um, and just took us to another level. So, I mean, for £14 million yeah. pounds and what we got for that, and the fact that we've still got him now as well. He signed in 15-16 season. Um, so, we've still got him now, you know, and he'd be worth a, a fortune in the in the market. So, for me, Alderweireld would go down as one of the best signings in the Premier League era. I totally, I totally agree with you on Toby. And the interesting thing about Toby, actually, I think for Rafa, the reason I, I think I always side with Rafa is just because of the spursiness about that type yeah. of player. But there's, there's better players, and I'm hoping that ASD plugs a bit of Modric and Musa and whatever else um, to follow, because there's so many that deserve a mention. But Toby, the thing about him is I remember reading his stats uh, at Southampton, and his whole career up until, I think, two seasons, maybe even three seasons into playing at Spurs, he had always been in, he'd always played in the team who had had the best or second best defensive record in that league for the whole season. So even at Southampton, they had the second best defensive record during his time there. I mean, that was just an outstanding achievement. Obviously, it's not solely him, but when you've got a centre-back like Toby, and we've been blessed to have Jan, who I think, you know, on his day, you could argue is, is probably an even better, has been an even better player for us. It's just remarkable. Yeah, yeah I was going to argue 
Subian, and for the simple reason was he came in to start that team in the same way company came into City to start that team. You go, well, would Alderweireld come without his mate? But Vertonghen sitting there in the middle, probably not. Vertonghen came in, he was loyal like Hugo was when we were awful. He's seen multiple managers. Um, Alderweireld came into a good team and made it great. Vertonghen made us into that good team and he's been so consistent, maybe a little bit more error prone, but I, I love that man. He was a bargain. Modric, uh, I think Modric is still the greatest player I've seen play for Spurs. Uh, we got him for 18 million euros. I think he was a bargain. We sold him for 40, maybe 35, wherever it was. Well, Not enough. But on the counter to the Modric thing, and we're talking ability, he's, he's the best central midfielder I've seen play for Spurs. But my only counter to it would be that it took him a while to get going, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, and brought him in. What we think of Modric now is Real Madrid Modric, where he controls the middle of the park of one of the greatest teams that's ever lived, or multiple greatest teams that's ever yeah. lived, you know, in terms of success. And we may look back. He didn't run the Premier League. He didn't run our side, but he was really, really, really good. I, I can't believe there's a little guy called Frank. He's grown up in Cardiff. Goes to Southampton. Uh, Southampton, he's a little left back. He's got long emo hair, big ears. He's a bit skinny. He comes to Spurs for six, for 13 million pounds, which is a lot of money for what we got. He scores against Arsenal and suddenly he grows and he grows. He puts on a little bit of weight and he becomes the best attacking player in the world. And we sell him for 90 million pounds, a world record fee, more than Rapey, not Rapey Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo was sold for. Might have to edit that out for libel, but um, uh, Gareth Bale, he, we, I, I don't know how you're not including it. He was, well, you, you look, I, he made us in terms of making us money. Would we have had Chadley? Without bail. No, we would not. That's how yeah, you measure a good signing. Would Nassau Chadley have gone there? But the thing is with bail, and again, obviously the end product wasn't what we signed, right? And we signed a young left back who ended up becoming you know, one of the best attacking players that's ever played for Spurs. But if I look at, for me, the judging how good a signing is, it's how much you paid for him and then the, the instant return. And, you know, I think about the players that I've spoken about, you know, that, that I would class to be top signings. Bale's a significantly better, more influential player than all of those. But I don't know if he was necessarily a better signing purely because it took time to get to where he was. Whereas I just think Alderweireld, it was day one, bang, you've, yeah, got, yeah. you've got a player there and he's, his level's just never dropped. He's just always been at the top of his game. There's, there's no comparing... What, who's a better player, Gareth Bale at the top of his Spurs career or Alderweireld, because it's Bale all day long. But I think in terms of a sign-in, what we've got from Alderweireld and the the instant impact, I would still have him above yeah, Bale. I think that's down to definitions then, isn't it? Because you look at our top three, Ndombele 54, Sanchez for 36, Sissoko for 31. If I had the chance again, would I spend 100 and whatever it is, 10 million pounds on them? Not at all. None of them. But Lacelso would have spent twenty eight million pounds on him. Again, yes I would. Bergwine, twenty seven, yes I would. You know, Sun, twenty seven, yes I would. So there's definitely I can't believe Bentley is, is our thirteenth most expensive player at twenty million pounds. But um for me, Bale, if you ever look at how what he did over his career for us, how much he delivered to us for that money. Same with Delhi. I think Delhi is a fantastic signing. Yeah. Uh 
and that because you look at it and that is a signing that make other people go geez i wish we had signed him all yeah. arsenal players would or fans would love to have signed delhi or bale um but and obviously they would with toby as well but that's the one they really feel they missed out on delhi or they yeah. missed out on bale the and delhi so that's why one, it's exciting. the delhi one was just you know that's probably the most unexpected signing to in terms of what he did almost instantly as well because you, you forget that we brought him in and there wasn't really much of a plan for him to really play that much in the first season. And we had so many injuries that he was just sort of thrown into the side because we had nobody else. And he just went on this run where he was, he was scoring or assisting every single week. Mm. And that basically hasn't stopped, you know, to this day now. He's still in there getting his numbers. So Delhi, probably the most surprising signing out of all of those that we've made. Um, I know, again, there's the bail comparison, but with the bail thing, it was gradual, wasn't it? You just you you see him getting better and better and better at every game he played. Whereas Delhi was just who the hell's this kid? And you know, not making people in, in on his Premier League debut. He was just he's been an incredible player. Yeah, not not making uh, Modric in the pre-season friendlies oh, as well. That, that was, a, that was a But then weirdly enough, kind of um, with hindsight, there's been quite a few tales about Liverpool being in for him and that almost being a done deal. And equally, United were obviously aware of him because they they came up against him in the FA Cup. So. I think um, I think it was David Pleat, wasn't it? That did us a favour there. Was to get us involved, get us in soon. He yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Gerard's like his hero, isn't he? Yeah. Mm. I was just, but then I was thinking about, but you know, Alderweireld may be it because you go, you have a look at how much people paid for Liverpool paid for um, Van Dijk, seventy-five million, Maguire, yeah. ninety million. That could easily have been Toby if he was two years yeah. younger. Yeah. It really, really good. Like that's a player you build your defense around because he, I, he's one. What you you were talking about world class earlier. I'm take world class for me is the first eleven of all the players in the world. We don't have many players that could fit in that bracket in our history. Um, I don't think the Premier League has ever had the best player in the world, uh, and it, that has really annoyed me. And I, I'd really like to see the Premier League have the best player in the world. And we talked about it last week, didn't we, with um, mm. Trent Alexander-Arnold? Yeah. But a Toby would could walk into the best defense. At one, at, when we first got him, maybe a couple of years after we got him, he could walk into the best team in the world, I think. No problem. Yeah, and it still amazes me that, was it last summer when he had that couple of weeks in his contract where you could get him for £25 million that nobody came in? Oh, yeah. That was crazy. That was no, no, nobody that we know came in for him anyway. Obviously, we had different management and we'd just been in the Champions League form, so you don't know what he'd been promised by the club at that point. But I still find it incredible that you know, like a Barcelona or didn't, you know, for that price, the player in there. You just... Especially because he's not a, I mean, I suppose Harry Maguire can kind of pass the ball. I'm not sure it's 90 million pounds worth, but you, you, he's not, he's not a lump, is he? He's a proper footballer. And I think that's where we've been so lucky with the likes of him and Yeah, is that Toby can make a crossfield pass that oh. just has you laughing when you think back at Dawson of him hammering it on the pitch. But proper, proper footballer. So why yeah. Barca or, or Juventus? Someone didn't come in for him. It just seems it seems odd, really odd. How Robson Carnu twisting him inside out in <laughs> when Wales knocked Belgium out of the Euros in 2016 yeah. may have been part of it. What a goal. What a goal. On, the, cry, flip, don't... on the flip side, <laughs> um, we've made a lot of signings that have been extremely expensive or have come with huge expectation that maybe haven't worked out. So who would be the names that come to mind straight away when, when I say that? Can I say, most clubs do this. Most clubs make terrible signings. You can go into any team and make point out 
loads of signings that just didn't work out. Fred, Sanchez, whoever. Um, with that in mind, you've got Vincent Janssen, you've got Soldado. They are, all, they were bad. But then the, the Janssen one, so yes, he, I mean, horrific, absolutely horrific centre forwards, like shocking, like not good enough really to even play in the championship. But when we bought him, that felt to me like a good gamble because we didn't really have the money where we could go and get a real top class striker. So we knew we had to probably gamble and get somebody from a lesser league. His mm. scoring record when we signed him. And like, if you look at the bloke, you'd have thought, actually, you look like you'll be decent in the Premier League. Like he's got a big, strong physique. But I mean, he just, he couldn't run. He couldn't hold the ball up and he couldn't finish, which you, you need really at least one of those to be a half decent centre forward. Um, so the Janssen one, yeah, in terms of ability, was really, really poor. But I still think it was a, it's difficult to say this in hindsight, but I still felt like it was a good gamble to take. Yeah, I mean, it, but that's it. You, you've got to do all the gambles. And when you look at Nkudu, you look at um, players like that, you just go, well, there. So Sessegnon hasn't been a success. I know we've got him for a long time. He's really young, but he hasn't done anything. You think but then with all those, no, it's with it's with all of those type of signs that you end up finding a gem, don't you? Like Sun, for example, exactly. who's, who's been brilliant. So it's sort of like if you haven't got the or your club's not willing to spend the 60, 70 million pounds regularly, you've got to sort of gamble a little bit, haven't you, on these type of players? Yeah, yeah. I think to... we just we just shouldn't we shouldn't sign players whose name begins with an N and followed by an apostrophe. We've got NG and, and Kudu and oh I mean they're, God, they're weird. I, I suppose um, they're not. That's not good answers. You're you're kind of you're, what you really want is that ratio of price and expectation versus yeah. you know the ultimate performance. Yeah. So yeah. there's players in that top ten like um, I think Lamella. Lucas Mora, maybe. I mean, I don't dislike either of those players. I just don't think they're as effective as they could be and should be um, for what they've what they've done in their past and equally the their, their price tag. I heard someone refer to Lucas the other day as the place that possession goes to to die. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the thing, the thing is with him, I would pay twenty five million of my own money to have Ix again, and so he can never. He will always yeah. be that man, you know. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, as I say, I don't dislike him though. I think he's. I, I like him because, especially, I've noticed since they've you know resumed football, teams are starting slower, and understandably they haven't got the audience and the you yeah. know the support there to cheer them up. But it has been quite static. And players like Lucas, they just almost start in fifth gear and they just run at teams. And I think we've we've uh, we've lacked that in recent seasons, and we we kind of need that at the moment. And he's a player who'll do that. I think ultimately he's not as effective as. He could be and should be, but at least he is direct. Whereas the likes of Lamella, it's more about doing a trick on the byline or sideways passes. So I don't dislike them. I just think that they could be more effective. Yeah, I think when I think back about signings that we made where I had such a high expectation and the fee was fairly chunky and it just didn't work out. Roberto Soldado, for me, is is the guy that I think of because I can't say I'd ever seen him play before, but you know about players across Europe who have got decent goal-scoring records and you watch Sky Sports News and you see highlights of games, right, of Mm. players sticking the ball in the back of the net. And it'd Mm. come off the back of 25, 30 goals for Valencia the season before. And Mm. this was at a time where we'd always lacked that real quality striker. And we were showing ambition by going in the market and saying, right, 30 million, here we go. I was so excited for the signing of Soldado. 
And I thought this is going to be the guy. And I'll definitely have got a tweet somewhere if I go back through it where I said, what a signing. This is going to be the guy that takes to the next level. Um, and it, yeah, just, been, it just did not it was work. Just, I, mean, I reckon if we started again at the same time, maybe had a different manager, I, something would, different would have happened. It just poor fellow just I really feel for him and the Spurs fans loved him so much just when it comes to expectation imagine if we'd signed Leandro Damiao imagine if that had happened we are we're always linked with him still. we've been linked to him for so long yeah just, he's never he had when he played for Internacional he was getting a goal every three games and that was when he was linked with us for so long but now like that. also that's not a great scoring record either do you know what I mean in a, in a no, league not at all. But we were all so excited about it but he's maybe in Japan just, at the moment and he's still not in one and two it's just yeah but the thing are uh, just I really wish it had worked out because like I said I was so excited but he was just it was a player that the, the English game was just not not for him. And you know you say SD about a different manager, different tactics. I just I just don't think that he's suited. So Coming up against centre halves like Lewis Dunk, do you know what I mean? James Tarkovsky. It's like I just yeah. I don't think that he he even wanted that kind of battle. Yeah. Um he, I feel like you could have put him up against a higher quality centre back who's maybe just not as physical and aggressive and he might have done all right. But yeah. the Premier League's just full of lumps, isn't it, at the back? Yeah. So yeah, some uh, some good names there to look back on. Sessignon's a good. Do you guys think he'll come good? Because it wasn't that long ago they were talking about you know fifty plus million for him, weren't they? When he had a longer contract at Fulham. Yeah, it's a it's a really difficult one. And I, whenever you buy any young player, right, you hope that the investment comes good. And I've seen glimpses of Sessignon where you think actually there could be something there. I don't think he's a left back at all. I think he's much, much better going forward. Um, but the problem that he's got is the players in front of him. He's just, he's never going to get, he's never going to be starting ahead of Sun. And then even when you look at the, you know, the understudies to Sun, he's got to get in front of Bergwijn, Lucas Moura, Lamella, someone like that, which makes me worry that, you know, even in like League Cup games or even if we're in the Europa League next year, is he going to get much football at all? I think he um, can get in the Europa League squad. I really do. Maybe, but... He needs what he needs is consistent football, doesn't he? You know, we need some injuries. That's what my worry with him is that he could be really great if he plays consistently, but is he going to get anywhere near our side? I don't know if he is. Can I give? And, yeah. Sorry, mate. Go on. I was just going to say, and if he was a player that didn't that didn't lack confidence, if he was a young cocky player who just knew yeah. he was good, we'd have seen it by now. So clearly, confidence is a part of his game, and he's not going to get it if he's just sat on the bench or sitting out match day squads. Yeah, I know Jose's played him a few times, isn't he, at left back, where I don't mm. think he's looked comfortable, but that looks like more of a realistic position that he might get some more games in, because we've got Ben Davis, but mm. we don't really have any other natural left backs. So that might be the option that he does have if he wants to get more games, he's going to have to go to defence, but then it's not planned to his strength. So it's a bit of a catch-22 for him. Can I just yeah. give £20 million in total? We signed Ben Davis, Delhi, Dyer. Rose, that's cracking. Ben wow. Davis at ten, yeah. Delhi at five, Dyer at four. Rose at one. Rose has been such a an incredible soldier for us, an incredible servant for the club. And I think it's worth highlighting. Dyer and Delhi for nine mil is unreal. Yeah. It's unreal. And these anyway. are examples of like where the the Spurs transfer model does work, right? Where mm. it's like 
good scouting, get young players, bring them in cheap, and then build them up to first team players. There, yeah. there are examples there where you know there's players there that would be going for you know huge sums of money if they were to go. Um, and I've always felt, especially recent years, the best Tottenham teams, in my opinion, have got Delhi and Dyer in them. In whatever whatever system we're going to play, I've always felt that we're at our best when we've got those two guys fully fit and, and in the team. So yeah. hopefully, um, well, we're definitely starting to see that with Dyer. Um, anyway, the last few games. Mm. Hopefully, we can see Delhi regain his form as well because you know that Delhi and Kane link-up play up top was just you know brilliant. I don't see him. I don't see him fitting in anywhere. I really don't. I think he's going to play Geo behind Kane, and I think he's going to play two wide players and then two defensive players. And I don't see where Delhi plays, but I've never seen where Delhi plays to be honest. Yeah, mm. it's one of them players as well, isn't he? That is sort sort of like. I don't mean this is a criticism, but he's as good as the players around him because mm. he's not a player that's going to get on the ball and dictate playing controller game. He mm. needs somebody to do that so then he can make it. What he's best at is making runs into the box. Yeah. But for him to be effective is he needs an Ericsson, right, who he's had for a number of years delivering him that ball. It reminds me yeah. a bit of Ozil in that he's a bit of a luxury where you can't rely on him to do every job he's meant to, but the jobs he will do, he'll do better than anyone else in the league and he his those late runs the second run he's better he's better at than anyone else in the league i i love that boy more than anything because he's one of the ones that can change a game that because yeah. no one can plan around him because no one knows what he's going to do anyway yeah. sorry. it's the numbers isn't it though isn't it? it's the goals and the assists from him and it's oh, like God. even if you get nothing else and you just get the numbers that's fine because you'd hope that there's other players in the side that can, can do the rest so i hope to see him that i'd be gutted if we got rid of him Oh, I really massive, would. Yeah. So I hope to see the best of Delhi again soon. Yeah. I don't think we'll try. I don't think we'll get rid of him. I don't yeah. think that at all. He's too important. I think Jose likes him too. He likes him, and so. you know, he's he's um. You, you pay a premium for British players, rightly or wrongly, and Daniel Levy will not let him go cheaply. Yeah. No. You're definitely right with that. Definitely. I'd like to talk a little bit now about um trophies. Now there's been a growing. Um, <laughs> Describe them. <laughs> yeah. Peace cup. Peace cup. That thing we won in 2008. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's been a graph going around on social media the last few days about major trophies won by the top six sides in England since the year 2000, which does not make good reading if you're a Spurs fan. Now, this is how we compare to the other side. So, Chelsea, um, since 2000, five Premier League titles, one Champions League two Europa Leagues, six FA Cups, three League Cups. Manchester United, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight Premier League titles, one Champions League, one Europa League, two FA Cups, four League Cups. City, four Premier Leagues, four League Cups, two FA Cups. The other lot, two Premier League titles and six FA Cups. Liverpool, now they've won the Premier League, um, a Champions League, Europa League, two FA Cups and three League Cups. And then there's Spurs with... A solitary league cup. It's just it. We just we don't look good at all on that graph. Um, so, what are your thoughts first and foremost about this? Um, and where do you think it is that we've been going wrong, or have we been going wrong, uh, or is it just that other teams have been better than us over that period? I mean, match that against next spend, and you've got your answer. Chelsea artificially um, uh, inflated by blood money from oil fields in Russia like that's how they've got their money um, City even worse 
Liverpool had a real periods of turmoil, but they've had half a billion pounds put into that team. It, it's, this isn't difficult. Arsenal, massive amounts of money from the States. We have got an unbelievably rich owner in Joe Louis, but we, we run on our own money. Obviously, we've had injections, but our net spend is always in the bottom quarter. It's, it's that simple. There's an article in The Atlantic uh, this week about um, how Spurs and Liverpool were on the same trajectory two years ago and then Liverpool <clears> invested. It, I, I do think it's that simple. Like There's only so much that um, there's only so much optimization you can make player by player where imagine we had Kane's quality in every position because that's what City have got. That's what Chelsea had. It's, it's, I, I think it's really simple. Mm. Charles, what do you think? Well, I um, <clears throat> so I listened to this podcast to cheer me up, and I don't know if you're listening <laughs> to the same. So, I, <laughs> but I can't, I can't be too, I can't be cheery about this. So, I, I mean, I'm just going to echo ASD. Really, I think. Clearly, we've needed investment on the pitch and haven't had it. There's been incredible investment off the pitch in recent years, obviously. But but really, we've just lacked that. We've had a few instances in that article in The Athletic that ASD referred to. I read that earlier today, in fact. And we've had opportunities where we could we could push a little bit to get a lot more in terms of what that would mean to the team and I think it, what it could have meant at the time if you think about that last season at White Hart Lane where we had Rose and Walker bombing up the pitch if we'd made a statement signing then like a proper statement signing Walker doesn't then want to leave necessarily Rose doesn't come out and ruin his career and a lot of the affection affection that we rightly had for him imagine like I mean we're never going to get a player like say Jaden Sancho but imagine if we did get a player of that caliber all of a sudden, Harry Kane thinks, oh, do you know what? I'm at, I'm at the right club and I'm going to play better because of this player rather than thinking I'm the one that everyone's looking to make something happen all the time. So I think we just need that. We're really lucky with you know the players that we've had and the Harry Canes and the Delis. And, but I think if we are going to make this horrific infographic you sent me look any prettier with more trophies on it, then it's, it's that simple answer that you know, ASD has already given. Yeah, and... There's a few things from me on it. Um, firstly, the net spend point. I did, I have, we never really know what the actual figures are, right? But there are some interesting figures that compare Klopp's net spend to Pochettino's net spend. And there's not actually a great deal in it. So the, be it playing devil's advocate, the, the counter to that is that, you know, Liverpool haven't really spent much more than what we have over the, a similar period. But... For me, it's always been a case of our recruitment's not particularly good when we're going out and spending that large sum of money. And we talked about players, you know, 10 minutes ago that are on the top of our list in terms of how much they've actually cost. And Undembele's, you know, obviously the top of that list. And you'd expect when you go and spend £60 million and, and smash your record transfer fee on a player that you're going to get a bit of instant return, right? Like Liverpool did with Alisson and they did with Van Dijk. You don't always get that. So I think that there's a few. The first point is I don't think our recruitment has been particularly good when we've gone out and gone, right, we are going to spend some big money. Um, the second point is from the over the last 20 years, we have not been a top six side. No. We've been there for the last 10 years, I would say, from when Harry took over. From then onwards, we've been decent. And he came in in 2008. So for about 10 years, we've, we've been up there. Since that period, we, I mean, it's always some maybes, right? But we should have had some silverware in the cabinet to show for it. This is just stuff that I can remember off the top of my head. So I'm sure that there's, there's stuff that I've not included. But three FA Cup semi-finals that we've lost. Chelsea, United, Portsmouth. Two League Cup finals, Chelsea and United. 
League Cup semi-final final to Chelsea and a Champions League final to Liverpool. And that's just off the top of my head. And like I said, I'm sure there are games that I've forgotten, especially over the last 10 years or so. So we should have more to show for it. For whatever reason, we've just not been able to get over the line recently. And it's a massive shame that Potch wasn't the one to do that. And for me, if he'd have left having won the Champions League or won an FA Cup, that would have been such a poetic end to his reign with us. Um, so it's a really, really difficult one to answer. But I think that we haven't been a top side for the last 20 years. We have spent money. The money that we've spent has not worked particularly well for us. Um, I actually think that what we've lacked is that experienced head that's sort of been there and done it. And I, I think back to those games and we've probably only had like one or two players that have been in games at the highest level. And that tends to be, from my point of view, where we've sort of lacked the know-how because finals are never good games, right? They're always cagey affairs. Semi-finals are the same because everyone's scared to lose. And you just need that bit of confidence and composure from a player to be like, it's fine. I know what to do in that situation to actually get us through it. Well, um, two points. I think we've never been a top team. I think there's a big difference between top six and top four and top three and top two. We've never been a top two team. And if you think about, you go back the last 20 years, it's been you know City and Chelsea or it's been before that it was Man United Arsenal Liverpool and since that and now it's Man United and Man City and Liverpool we've never been in the top bracket even when we were almost won the league the Leicester year that was a messed up year we've never been in that bracket ever and so you've either got team who win in the Premier League or those teams who want to go for the other cups to make to show something yeah. to qualify for something and so people always go oh, we should have won the league and I'm not I'm going to go at you for what you just said, because we should have won one of those finals. We, we've we had teams who are good enough on the day to beat anyone, and we've proven that. But we've always had better teams around us, and they're more likely to win cups. It's as simple as that. And I think we Spurs, like, you have a look at the history in my lifetime. On average, we're awful. We've had a really good <laughs> last 10 years. The yeah. first 20 years of my <clears throat> life, we were mid-table. We were mid-table before Harry came, and that that's okay. And that... that yeah, that's what I everything's guess. relative, though, isn't it? In that respect, mm. and I think I think you're right. And I know, I mean, I'm I don't want this. I don't want to be too negative uh, in terms of the response to your point because I think it's too easy to be so. And I'm I'm vain enough that I'll probably listen back to this podcast afterwards to see how it all sounded. But mm. without without wanting to sound or be accused of being Spursy, I think trophy count is a measure of a club's success and probably the most important measure but it's not the only one is it I mean it's Mm. the last the years under Potch I mean Christ they were insane weren't they I mean the Lucas and Ajax the all of these games Peter Crouch scoring at City under Redknapp all of those games were magic imagine like our local club here Reading imagine being a Reading fan versus that so I think I think I don't want it to sound too spursy but trophies are just a measure and we've had an, an incredible last few years and that's only heightened the kind of pain of the sterile football we're watching at the moment and the you know the lack of attractive football etc etc so yes we haven't won trophies but I mean I still think there's a lot that we have enjoyed and it's been it's been good albeit the cabinet's looking alarmingly empty 
This is what Benger was saying when he said fourth was a trophy. We take the piss out of him, and so do um, Arsenal fans. But, but they said that because... Oh, but he's right, he's right. He's right because it's so difficult to win anything that actually fourth is a massive achievement for clubs like Spurs and Arsenal. We're turning yeah. into Arsenal as much as we hate it. We've be- the, um, we, the new stadium means we can't spend money, which which just shows how great Arsenal was at keeping that team in the, in the Champions League year after year and getting out the group. Um, and the fans are becoming a little bit content with not content um expect they're expecting a bit too much and i think the measure for levy is nothing to do with trophies is all about net profit and growth and you can yeah. look at the growth we've delivered over the last few years so spurs are delivering they're ticking all the boxes but for fans that's not good enough and for players it's not good enough and that's where it's going to come to a crunch where the growth is going to come from performances on the pitch and the players who are going to come are only going to come because of success on the pitch and that's where it's going to that's where it's going to come down to. I think will be interesting is after we've had this period under Jose, where and we will win, we will win stuff under him. I'm I'm so certain on that. With how that will compare when he does leave, because when he when he does leave us, it'll leave us with probably a couple of trophies, but in absolute chaos because that's how Jose leaves sides. So what I'll, I'll be intrigued to see when that does happen is how that compares to the Pochettino reign, because obviously all the criticism for Pochettino was there's nothing to actually show for it. Whereas I think the Jose reign will be, for the majority of fans, not particularly enjoyable. You, fans will feel like they can't really connect with the manager and the football's not that great, but he'll have the trophies that Pochettino didn't have. That's that's my belief, and I'm confident that he'll deliver that. But I think it would just then be interesting to have looked back on two managers and two reigns that have been the complete opposite to actually figure out as a fan what is it that you prefer because I don't know what I prefer you know I've not I've not experienced a period of time watching Spurs where we have been successful in terms of trophies and in my mind at the moment I'm quite happy to sacrifice a bit of the culture and the good football to have something to show for it but I don't know if I will agree with that in a couple of seasons time or not. Yeah, I think I, I agree in terms of just wanting trophies, but then I still always come back to the fact that if you if if you can only if you're only allowed to enjoy your football team season if they win a trophy, then there's only going to be two, three, maybe four teams per year who can who can look back and say we've had a good season. But imagine being a Wolves fan this year. I mean, Christ, they're a brilliant team to watch. Yeah. They're they've just they're a bit like where we were when when Harry was in charge and we were playing that you know, playing with flair and style and winning games and turning teams over that we didn't necessarily have a right to. I mean, yeah, they might win, a, they might win, um, they're still in Europe, aren't they? I think they might win something this year, but let's assume they don't. They've had a cracking year. So, uh, mm. you know, I, I don't want to get too caught up on lack of trophies. I would love yeah. it if we had a couple in our cabinet and I'd love it, Jack, if you're right. And Jose does win with, a, you know, uh, leave us with a couple. And actually, part of me doesn't care if he leaves us in turmoil because we're kind of in turmoil at the moment and we have been hence why Koch left because he had this aging squad lack of investment Jose prefers historically to work with older players so let him have a crack if it helps us get a decent sponsor for the stadium because we've got Jose in charge so be it let's get that let's get the investment and then let's do things properly because I don't think even looking back past Poch and you know, I don't want to get ASD started on AVB, but um, <laughs> the, the the red naps. Yeah, I, I think actually there's been success within those reigns at the club. I think we haven't had it all that bad. And I'm going to turn this, uh, close this email where I've got this infographic open because it's hideous. 
I can't believe Chelsea are up top. I just can't believe Chelsea are number one. It's all paid for. Really as soon as me. that money goes, they'll go back to being a team that was relegated relatively recently. And that, that's yeah. the sad thing. And for me, it's about the memories. It's Jack going to the last game at the lane with you. It's Giles that's going to my only game at the new stadium with you. Um, the first game of this season. That, that's what I really enjoy. Um, yeah. I would love to have made a memory in Madrid um, winning the trophy. But, you know. I, see, I guess all you can do is see what happens, right? And you just... Uh, as we say all the time on this podcast, football is just, it's more than what goes on on the pitch, right? And it's that, it's the whole mm. social side of it and the friends and the memories and that that you make from watching it. And that we can also, whilst we haven't had trophy success, we've definitely had success in other ways over the last few seasons, for sure. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, look, that's probably quite a nice way to round off the episode. So ASD, Giles, Great talking to you both. And thank you to everybody at home for listening. And remember, whatever happens, future's bright, future's lily white. Come on, you Spurs. I always thought there was very, very many people interested in football. And I always thought that football was a very important game. But I never realised until today just how important it is. Whether the Wonder Boys of White Hart Lane are or are not the team of the century can't possibly be more than a matter of opinion. Well... They're the finest team in Great Britain and one of the best in the world. We are about the glory of the game. We are about playing with style. We are Tottenham Hotspur. The curve of the ball, the billow of the net, the beating of the trap and the picking of the lock, the swiftness of thought, the lightness of touch. We are Ginola, Greaves, Klinsman. We are the collective gasp, the intake of breath, the flick, the trick, the 30-yard free kick. We are Hoddle, Mabbott and King. We are the lob, the chip, the dummy and the volley. We are the hat trick, the scissor kick. We are Bill Nick. We are the outside of the boot, the inside of the net, and those seconds that last forever. Van der Vaart to level it up. Raphael van der Vaart, 2-2! It's quite a game, isn't it always? We are Jennings, Defoe and Perryman. Glory past, glory future. What was, what is, what's next. We are Blancheflower, Ardelis and Bale. We are about winning with a flourish. We are about winning with style. We are about the glory of the game. Daring to try, daring to risk, daring to dream. To dare is to do.